Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Bravo, macht Tempo, wartet auf Harte. Erzwang gekommen und jetzt ist es Klos. Also, Arminia Bielefeld. Penny, 2-0. 2-0 für den FC St. Pauli. Diese Flanke, Tor, nächster Treffer. Es ist heuer, Fernandes mit vorne. Ja klar ist er mit vorne. Kittel mit der Ecke, Pujabalata. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Spider Bundesliga podcast. Match day 20 is in the books and unfortunately we're at the international break again. We've only been here two weeks and uh, who would have thought that international football in January would ruin all, th- all, all kinds of good things that we that we have. Anyway, massive show as always to discuss all the action. Only the eight games this week. Of course, Sandhausen and Karlsruhe, their game has been postponed to the 8th of February uh, with some cases concerning Karlsruhe. So we hope everyone is okay uh, and is feeling safe and hopefully that game will be up and running soon. The, the I guess the international break might be a little bit of a blessing for them. Gives them time to prepare for the next few fixtures. Joining me as always to discuss all the action uh, from the match day is the one and only Eva Lotterbola. Eva, welcome. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I mean, um, it was a very successful weekend of football for for both of us, so that's always good to start into a new week. Um, yeah, kind of a shame that we have an international break already, because um, I think especially for the for the Zweite Liga, you just see two like teams kind of getting into some sort of shape, and then you have that international break right away. I mean. Honestly, for everything that's going on with Omicron, it's probably a good thing. Uh, only when players don't like travel to Dubai or stuff, because I've seen that happening. Actually, there there are no German international breaks, uh, uh, games. Sorry, <laughs> uh, this break. Um, but uh, I think like I know that for example, like uh, South America, I think has has um, World Cup qualifications. Um, so yeah, this is uh, if you I know were looking forward to watching I know Germany play. Don't like I don't know why w- you would, but don't. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I think we have seen some very interesting results. Um, I have especially for the first game. Um, I think well, it was kind of the game we're both hoping for in a way. Maybe not for 100% but I think we have seen uh, worse derbies uh, in those four years those two teams have played together in the league and um, I would definitely count this one as one of the better Yes, the Stadt Derby really didn't disappoint this time around and for Hamburg fans especially it's been a long time cl- coming since they've celebrated actually the bra- having the bragging rights in their own city uh, and they did so having to come from behind to beat St. Pauli two goals to one. The initial phases were really in control um, by Hamburg. They had a number of opportunities, but they were unable to convert. And just like it is the case in most football leagues, but especially in this league, if you fail to convert your chances, you will be punished. And Guido Burgstaller on 30 minutes got his 15th goal of the campaign. He is now the league's top scorer. And it certainly looked like St. Pauli had the momentum going into the break. Some really good tactical changes from Hamburg, and they really wrestled momentum back to start the second half. And Sebastian Schonlau uh, heading home, Sonny Kittel's corner. It's their eighth goal from set piece this season. Schonlau's second. Kittel would be on hand again. His wonderful pass found Bakri Yatta, and Yatta with a wonderful goal to beat Nikolai Vasil, and that was it. Yatta's third goal of the season I mean Hamburg gets a vital win. Uh, we'll talk about why it's important later on the program. But just for the bragging rights, the 2,000 fans that uh, made their way to the Volkspark Stadion, they were treated to a very good game of football. And for the home, the host fans in particular, uh, one that they will save for quite some time. Yeah, and I mean, they, they really do have to win this game. I mean, um, Zhang Pauli kind of did what um, they thought was enough after the Burgstaller goal. I mean, you got to say there was this moment where you could have said if they, if they scored the second goal here... Not sure if Hamburg bounces back from that. And I mean, we kind of probably have to discuss after, um, shortly after the 1 0 
Um, there was a scene, I think, uh, Ali Du versus Olson. Um, and Overdue, I've, I've seen it in, personally. I think it's stupid taking that challenge um, in the box because I think there are definitely referees blowing the whistle at that stage. Um, in my opinion, it's good that we that there isn't a penalty because I always think, like, do I want this to be given a foul in midfield as well? And if you do that, you don't really have that. It sounds weird, but just normal tackles anymore. Um, but I do think if the referee gives it on the pitch, um, the VAR can't really say he takes it away. It's obviously this... Um, yeah, clear mistake in, in calling the shots in this way. And I don't think, uh, like, I think how it was handled was correct. Um, didn't really see a lot of some Paulo fans really going on about that because I think in the end they knew, especially in the second half, the pressure um, Hamburg put on. I mean, we, we had a similar start that the highest foul had the huge chances and Paulo really focused on quick counter attacks. I mean, um, you could see. Um, well, no offense to to Cone, but I think it's really different going on against that um, B4B side than going on against Cone. Although they had to go to the penalties, uh, you could really see that. I mean, from away, they the, the Zang Pauli players were just a little bit tired. Um, they they kept trying on, but I mean, um, this was this was the time of first for Zang Pauli in this game. It was the first time they uh, conceded after a corner. Um, this season, and it was the, actually the first time that probably blew a lead this season. A um, couple of firsts, <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, I did like how how has foul turned on the heat. I mean, we've seen games where they tried and tried, and at some stage, they tried so much that they didn't really have confidence that they're going to score a goal uh some stage um you gotta say for that second goal uh Ahoya Fernandez is a bit lucky that I mean he he's like 30 40 meters out of his goal or even more and um that is initial pass it ends actually ends up at a Zang Pauli player but he can't do anything with that and then Kittel intercepts and with a really, really well-timed pass to Yatta, also beautiful goal by Yatta. And um, in the end, Burgstaller did can, could have scored the equaliser, but um, Hoya Fernandez was once again very good in this game. And um, yeah, in the end, as I said before, uh, a very deserved first derby home win since 2001 for, for HSV. And yeah, huge points for St. Pauli. I'm not sure about you. If we just don't look at the Pukai game, we've had that home game against our. We've had this game now. I mean, obviously, um, to take highest fouls on Pauli, um, I think the, for the first time in a very long time, they actually eye-leveled in a way the, what they're actually putting on the pitch. But still, I mean, um, there's going to be a very, very interesting game coming up after the international break against Este Parabon. We know, especially at the beginning of the season, where they were very, very strong away side. And um, this could be a very, very important game for Zach Pauli in a way that they pick up the pace again. Honestly, they, they've just just picked up a point so far in, in 2022. Um, not sure about you, Matthew, but I kind of had the feeling that there were just leaning on that on the fact that they were picking up points and mm. you could see in this last two games they they still have to do something to get promoted in the end yeah i mean you look at the teams that they've played in their last five one win in their last five which came on match day 16 against schalke and in that game uh they almost found a way to not win that game um towards the end but um, one thing that's very noticeable is that the opponents that played three of those are in the bottom half. Two of those are currently in the bottom four. Um, Hamburg is the only team that they've played that was in the top six, excluding Schalke. It is not promising the way that they're going about it. Granted, they were they were they clearly ran out of puff, but um, you know you can't excuse the fact that you know Hamburg, who'd played 120 minutes. And penalties, they look good. 
they um they 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 played with great energy, great intensity, um, and they really put put Saint Pauli to the sword from minute one. Um, so I I I'm not I'm not sure I guess because they've had Saint Pauli have had a few games this season where they've been decent or they've been very good and they and they've found a way to not win like the um or they or they've just gotten over the line the Zanelsen game the Schalke game um you know the hour game they were very lucky to even get a point in um so there there's cause for concern in that they just the mistakes are, are kind of creeping in there the teams are figure, starting to figure them out they're becoming a little bit more predictable. Uh, someone should have showed Marco Rosa the clip then because uh, he had no idea what was going on. But yeah, um, we'll see. They are now usurped from the top of the table. Um, and Hamburg put themselves in a very good position. They are fifth, but they are tied on points with the fourth place side. Um, yeah, crazy, crazy. But we'll talk about the team that's currently third and then we'll get on to our league leaders. The third place side is Werder Bremen. They took on Paderborn at the Bensler Arena. 750 people attended this game. And Bremen only just secured the three points. It means five consecutive wins for Oli Werner. It has been a perfect start, even if at times it has not been all perfect. It started with a penalty on 15 minutes with Florent Muslia taking the secondary penalty after Sven Mikkel's initial Effort was saved by Jiri Pavlenka, but it had been judged that Marco Friedel had just false started just a little bit. Um, lucky he's not in the Olympics, he would have been disqualified. Maslia got the goal, and it was 1-0. Marvin Dukes, who's been, of course, in very, very good form uh, alongside Nicholas Fulkrug, he got goal number 11 on 35 minutes. Maslia continued his fantastic home debut for Paderborn with a second goal, his third of the campaign, and he looks like he might be a very nifty signing for them going forward, being the cosh of an international. Felix Platter stunned Jiri Pavlenka on 56 minutes when his shot from about 35 yards out um, deceived Pavlenka. And, uh, oh boy, not good. Really, really poor goalkeeping. But uh, Bremen continued to fight. Romano Schmidt got his third goal of the campaign on 59 minutes. And then Nicholas Fulkrug equalized just seven minutes later. We thought Paderborn had taken the 4-3 through Felix Platter, which would have been another World League goal. However, it was taken away. The VAR intervening. Then we thought Marvin Dukes had scored the fourth, the 4-3 fourth for Werder Bremen. But he was offside. And finally, it probably was the worst goal of the game, but Omar Toprak scoring his first Werder Bremen goal of the season. And that is all she wrote. Bremen, now third uh, they are ahead of the likes of Schalke. And they are closing the gap to St. Pauli. Whew. This was a heck of a game. Despite the fact that the pitch conditions were mm, less than ideal. I think that's why they're looking for a new groundskeeper. Um, but Bremen did enough. But there was... I think I think the, the way you can describe this game maybe the best is... Both teams can take a lot of positives out of the game. In an attacking sense. Defensively... Let's just say neither goalkeeper or defensive four could cover themselves in any sort of glory. <laughs> that is very correct. Funny thing about this was um, uh, I watched this game over Discord with Hannes, and uh, he has Sky Ticket, and um, I watched on the receiver. And yeah, the thing is, Sky goes, Sky Ticket, and if you watch Sky on receiver, it's three different time zones. Uh, so it's always really funny, especially in a game where a lot of goals are being scored and a lot of goals are being taken away. Um, I've already seen the next goal when Hannes just saw the like the Paderborn goal, so this was always <laughs> very funny. Um, and sorry for him, I can't really hide my excitement or disappointment. So for him, I think it was a very very horrible game to watch. Um, sorry for that, Hannes, once again. Um, actually. Um, I mean, we were wondering, especially after what Max said last week, um, what can or how Werder Bremen will perform against the team that isn't kind of in the lower leagues of the table. And I'm not sure about you, Matthew, but I st still don't really have the answer for that because 
this game could have gone either way. I mean, the good thing is that they never gave up on themselves. This is this was huge. So what what we call it mentality um, was very very good for for Werder Bremen. Um, I mean, they they never like they've never gave up. They used Paderborn mistakes on the other side. Paderborn found very good ways in finding Bremen's mistakes. And I mean, um, actually, this is kind of game you want to want to watch over and over again, but not when you want to actually take something to learn from both teams because this wasn't like. Paderborn is playing St. Pauli next. I'm not sure if I would be Timo Schulz. I watched this game. I was like, like, yeah, don't make mistakes against Paderborn and use everyone, <laughs> every mistakes, mistake they hand you. Um, this is not really something you can learn from. And um, I mean, we have to point out players like Florian Muslia and um, Felix Platter, obviously. I mean, it wasn't a huge surprise that Plata scored against against Vera, but um, yeah, I mean, he nearly had that that second goal, and my initial thought was, okay, this is a foul; it has to be taken away. But rewatching it, I want to kind of say Vera was a bit lucky there because um, it's not an in, like initial to the goal. Um, it's not one like it's not one way street afterwards, and um, yeah, I think a bit lucky um, for Vera. I mean, probably would have ended like four five then in the end because well, this game was crazy. Um, but yeah, for for Vera Bremen, I think um, next game against Kaizu isn't like the one you you need to focus on yet because I mean, I'm, I'm really difficult putting Kaizu in a the spot there, but like the game against Kaizu is going to be huge. Um, this is going like those are the games you really need to focus on, and um, I do think that Olivera takes the right things out of this. Um, I mean, you guys say a lot of beautiful goals. I mean, you don't really see this very often. Um, I <laughs> I had the feeling both teams just decided to to have this. Yeah, like in the box, we're just going to let players go. It's it's fine. We're, nothing will happen there. Um, Romano Schmid can, similar to Fabian Holland, can just score beautiful goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, quick thought on on both goalkeepers, um, or maybe just, I mean, we know. I do think Pavlenka is a good goalkeeper, but he always has this moments were not quite sure where he's going. I mean, we all remember the, the goal he conceded against Hanover and this game, it looks very weird when he conceded the Plata goal. Um, and then obviously Yannick Hood, I mean, he has been a really, really good goalkeeper for Paderborn. But in this game, um, deciding where to go, deciding how to and I mean this was how the the fourth goal for Vera the actual fourth goal um they conceded he, he had a similar situation uh, I think for the 3-0 or so where he just went out and there was no like it wasn't necessary and that was a bit weird I mean in the end I don't know if I wanted to put this as an advertisement for the Zweite Liga because people will focus on the bad defending uh, but yeah, I mean, it was entertaining. Well, I mean, anything for clicks that we know certain uh, brand outlets would uh, definitely take advantage of. But yeah, it it certainly was a, a game where you, where you, as you described it, there wasn't a whole lot you could take about. In each of the games that they've had under Ver- uh, Oli Werner, Werner have scored three or more goals. So that so he's unlocked their ability to find the back of the net with regularity. The least efficient players uh, in terms of you know their expected goals have started to not only score frequently, but they are far more dangerous uh, than they were previously. But defensively, they are still a rather fragile unit. We talk about the two centre-backs in particular. You know, Toprak was not particularly strong in this game. He is... On the elder side, and when you're not particularly fast like he is against pacey players, you can be exposed. Um, you know, Velkovic was okay. 
I guess. Um, and Friedel had his moments, and you know they they. It's the best they have, essentially, because they don't have a particularly deep defensive core. They've got Lars Lucas Meyer on the bench, who I'm not entirely sure Oliver Werner particularly rates, being that uh, he was a Marcus Anfang signing. Same with Nikolai Rapp. We haven't seen as much of him. We've seen a lot more of uh, Bittencourt and um, and Schmid in that midfield. Um, but yeah, that's a it's a tough. Overall, it's it's a it's a it's a decent win for Bremen, but yeah, a very tough pill to swallow if you are Paderborn because that could have really um, put them in a position to be fighting for that uh, top three positioning. Now let's go to the league leaders. They are Darmstadt. They took an English stat at the Audi Sport Park behind closed doors. Uh, it's hard to really comprehend how they did not win six, seven, eight. 9-0 in this game. Uh, but it was only two in the end. Tim Skarker and Aaron Seidel were the goal scorers. Um, the, I guess the, the positives to take for it for Darmstadt are they are top. And in their two games in 2022, they've managed to win without Philip Tietz and Luca Pfeiffer scoring. Sorry, they didn't. They, lost, they drew their first game. My mistake. But the thing is... They need those two to score. And Pfeiffer had his opportunity inside the six-yard box, which was well saved. Um, but yeah, Ingolstadt, not really in this game. They, it, was, it was painful to watch for them. It was like, um, what's the saying? Beating the dead horse. Beating a dead horse. Because that's what Darmstadt were doing, but uh, they couldn't find the killer blow. It was kind of fascinating in that way. Um, if, what do you take away from this game? Because on paper, we expected Darmstadt to win. The result was Darmstadt 1, um, but it, it just felt underwhelming because you've, cause they had so much dom- dominance throughout the game. They had so many chances, and yet against one of the worst defensive teams in the league, they didn't destroy them by any stretch. It was just, oh, we'll take 2-0 and we'll move on. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing about this was that it was being talked about a lot uh, was that Darmstadt actually had goal-scoring practice during the week. Mm. And I'm not sure, as as a coach, I <laughs> wouldn't be so sure that worked very well. I mean, that Tim Skarka goal was a one in a million. Like, he hasn't scored at all this season, and then he scores an impossible goal. Um not sure what Kotzka does there though. Like he just maybe thought, okay, never this is going to go in. Um, in general, um, what I thought about, I mean, I really rather want to talk about English that because I had the feeling this they were more or less stable under Rüdiger Rehm so far. They always offered a bit more this game in at both like both beginning. I don't know, five to ten minutes of both halves. Um, they try to have an impact, didn't work that well. I mean, um, there was two situations where Shuwen uh, went up against uh, Pick. Um, he was probably one of the highlights for for Ingolstadt. Not sure how, how I want to put this. Um, but, um, I mean, for them, I think it's good to know if, if they got Dejan Sojanovic, he succumbed some sort of injury I'm not sure, didn't really see what happened there um, but in Robert Jendrush they had someone replacing him who showed a very very good game so I think this is something that in a way you can take away from, from a side that is really battling relegation um, that you don't really have that problem in goalkeeping I mean obviously that, that second goal he, he lets the ball slide um, but Honestly, without him, it could have been easily mm. five or six no, for Darmstadt. So I don't really want to sh- just put it on him. Had to do with um, yeah the Sandbergs as well for Ingolstadt. Um, yeah, with, with the goals going, I'm not sure. I mean, you you if you come for example compared to maybe uh, Sven Michel um, in Paderborn, you have two teams where they're 
most important goal scorer or goal scorers aren't really replicating what they're doing. But the thing you need as clubs like that are people that can jump in. And with Tim Skarke and Seidel, maybe you have someone or some players who can fill that gap. But at the same time, there will be games where you play against opponents who will use this. And I mean, we've seen it the week before. Um, you gotta do something about that. And um, yeah, not sure for Ingolstadt. I mean, it wasn't a 6-0 like in the first leg, mm. but like the mistakes they made in this game, they were very, very similar compared to what they did in the first half of this season before Rudi Karim took over. And I think that's something he has to get back on. And then I think um, if they don't make those easy mistakes, um, then they can focus again on scoring goals. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was such a an interesting display from Darmstadt because... As you mentioned in the two games, they've scored eight goals against Ingolstadt, which is what you do when you play bad teams. You should, you know, bully them in in such a way that you know you you, you um, beef up your goal difference. And and this one was one of those classic missed opportunities, despite them picking up the three points. And I'm sure Torsten Liebekesh would have been a little bit disappointed in the change rooms afterwards. But for Ingolstadt, you, you mentioned the goalkeeping and and. When when Yendrush has played, um, he had to sub in for Buntic earlier in the season. He was very good, which makes this for me. It made the Stojanovic move even weirder, because um, yes, all of the, the goalkeepers, all the Ingolstadt goalkeepers who have played this year, and that includes Stojanovic, have had some sort of howler or some sort of drastic error. And I think for me, in the two the game and a half that Stojanovic has played, he hasn't. He's played like someone who hasn't played a lot of games at all in the first half of the season. And I don't think he's their best option. I don't even think he's their second best option. Because Yendrush showed a lot of character under uh, being under fire. And I just don't understand why you wouldn't play him. That's all. I would... If you're not good, If Buntic isn't available, he should be the guy. That's, that's all I'm saying. So, yeah. An expected result for both teams in the end. Darmstadt will be top. Into the, into, the, into the international break. Let's take a break, and on the other side, we'll discuss our Group 2 games. And we're going to start with the Saturday night game. It's Erzgebirge Auer and Schalke. Schalke were hoping to put away the disappointment from the previous match days when they took on an Erzgebirge Auer side, looking to finally break their duct. In what was rather miserable conditions on Saturday evening... It would be Schalke who would open the scoring on 36 minutes. Simon Torado would get his second goal of 2022 and his 14th of the campaign. But the real star of the show was Andreas Winheim. In his first appearance, in his first start for Schalke, the right wing back produced a stellar display. He opened the, opened his account on 38 minutes with a wonderful goal, which was brilliantly set up by Torado. He would be on, on hand to assist a few more goals as the returning Danny Latzer scored a brace coming off the bench and then Marvin Piringer got his second goal of the campaign on 72 minutes. Usually you would use the quip five-star Schalke, but I don't in fact think that's a, that's a rather fair assumption because at times they weren't particularly competent and they did allow our many a few opportunities to score, but some poor finishing and some solid goalkeeping by Marcin Freisel. Uh, was enough in the end. This game, this result was vital for Schalke, even for many reasons. One, it boosted their goal difference. We talked about how, you know, beefing up the goal difference can be important. Darmstadt didn't do that, but Schalke did. And that win and that goal margin, was a, which allowed them to leapfrog Hamburg into fourth place, uh, could become vital as the season goes on. Big win for, for De Konigsblauen heading into the international break. But... The, the person we definitely need to talk about is Andreas Finheim. Uh, you could not start off your, your time in, in Gelsenkirchen with a better performance than that. Yeah, and I, I do have something I want to talk about there. First of all, uh, I have the feeling he's kind of the Uvejan for the right side, uh, and that's something Schalke really needed. And um, I thought about this, obviously had, had some input there on the weekend, but um, this is 
this is something that I, for example, saw saw at Frankfurt, which um, Alice said also in the in the Rasenfunk Schluss conference. The thing is, with with a team who has a very very good player on one side, this is for 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 Frankfurt. It's actually the same on the left side with Costa. She brings in all the cro crosses, but the problem is they don't have the same player for the right side. And this is why, for example, Bielefeld put all the pressure on Kostic because they knew if they even if they just change sides, like if it, if they uh, have that transitional play over to the right side, with Timothy Chandler, there's then somewhere, someone who cannot in any way replicate with what Kostic does on the left side. And until now... This was the same thing with Uvejan for Schalke because you had a very, very good player on the left side who's very good, who brings like very well-timed crosses. He scores goals, um, very good set pieces. But the thing is, after a while, and this is from time to time, you could really see this during the season, teams were adapted to that and were saying, okay, if we just close up your left side, you can't really shut Uvejan down completely. That's not possible. But if we shut down your left side, you have to do everything. Move over to the right side at some stage or go through the center. And you don't really have that same quality there. Now they have the same quality there. I mean, we've only seen one game. Don't really want to overhype any player but the the way Vintime worked in this team the way Schalke could play on both wings with Uwe John uh, on the left and um, Vintime on the right side on the right wing um, very very impressive and then you have players like Piringa who who worked very well in in the depth uh, next to Terada and I think this is this is really a performance where Schalke, they have to build on that because it doesn't like, for some of what you said, obviously uh, goal difference is a very important topic, but it like this 5-0 doesn't count more if you lose your next game against Regensburg. This is something Schalke really has to get in. They have to get in consistency. Otherwise, they won't be a topic for promotion and it's not a very, well, I mean economical thing in a way to do because you, yeah it, it doesn't work but um i mean first of all what what they did very well is coming actually coming into the box and this is what we have been talking about about our since the beginning of the season no matter who the coach was they're in box defending the amount of space our opponents have in the box it's worrying. I mean, Kakatalua had a really, really nightmare of a day, but still there were from time to time three to four players or especially or even like if you just take three players were in the box and they were always too far away from every opponent mm. um, for the uh, for both for I think for actually for, for both Latza goals or at least the first one. Um, three hour plays have no control at all. The ball comes in and Latza can just score that goal out, like just come in. He doesn't really have to go up against any kind of our player. And this is, this is, I have, sorry to have to put it this way, but it's no Zweite Bundesliga level. Mm. This is, I mean, even, I think probably even in terms of Dritte Liga, this is not how you can get away in defending because especially against the Schalke team who is known for having, even if you just had over Jan at this stage, bringing in well-timed passes, and then you have Simon Terrolle there who can't, who stands at the right stage nine out of ten times. And I'm sorry, but especially from our side who has to build on their performances at home to stay in, um, I was very disappointed after they just got a draw against St. Pauli. Um, this is not how you you can perform at all. I mean, they had their chances, but it was that for they started off with a chance against uh, the first Ovosu, I think, against Freise. Um, and after that, like after Terodos scored the goal, after that, it was nearly it was only Schalke. Uh, they didn't really offer much. Uh, quick last point on that. Um, normally, I'm not a huge fan of watching the Saturday night games. Uh, due to the commentators. 
but they had Sky had uh, Daniel Meyer on, obviously ex our coach, and was actually very enjoyable. And uh, maybe I, I just witnessed that Stefan Hempel might kind of, I don't know, put his techniques onto whoever he speaks with. I hope we see more of Daniel Meyer, not only if our is playing, but really liked. Um, I mean couldn't explain a lot for our in that stage but very calmly um analyzed what was happening on the pitch and i like that you know secretly uh the current rb leipzig u19 coach was thoroughly enjoying what was happening on the pitch uh he he definitely wouldn't hold any sort of grudge about the way that his time at our ended not by any stretch of the imagination um yeah our, our was defending, you know, three of those five goals came from crosses and they just, or they, when you don't do the basics right and there's no communication defensively, you get yourselves in all kinds of funky situations and when you give players time and space in the box, which is the danger, the most dangerous area on the pitch, you're doing your goalkeeper a massive disservice and they, they, they did that on the weekend and... Um, Schalke who have been known in the last few games for being a little bit inefficient going forward uh, and taking their chances the Hamburg game and the Kiel game in particular uh, but they didn't miss often they were constantly testing Manson Manil and um, good but as Eva said and rightfully so this this result means nothing if you don't go on and, and you beat Regensburg or you continue to maintain point scoring form um, and that's going to be vital for them and Dimitrius Gromotsis in what has been a pretty rough week for him uh, with all the other stuff that had been mentioned, which wasn't true. Let's go to the Jahnstadion in Regensburg. Jan Regensburg hosted Holstein. Kiel Regensburg are coming off a win. Uh, Kiel looking to secure their first win of 2022. It started well for the hosts. Scott Kennedy, the Canadian international, got his second goal of the season. It was a set-piece goal uh, that found Steve Breitkreutz. His header found Kennedy, and it was 1-0. They should have made it 2-0 when Alexander Muling uh, probably unintentionally kicked Benedict Gimber in the head, but, you know, you've got to look out for the player's safety in the box. Referee gives a penalty. Max Bushushkov, who's usually quite reliable from the spot he steps up, but his penalty is saved by Thomas Dana. And that's where momentum started to swing. On 35 minutes, Julian Korb got his second goal of the campaign. And then Benedict Gimber, who had won the penalty, uh, well, he lost his mind a little bit with a bit of a rash challenge on Finn Porat. Alexander Muling, who is known for scoring penalties, puts it away. And that was all she wrote in this game. Keelan out unbeaten in four. Regensburg back to reality with the defeat. They had their chances in this game, Jan Regensburg. They created quite frequently. Thomas Dana was very good. But for me, the standout were the two wing-backs for, for Holstein Kiel, or some would say they're, they're wide midfield players in Fabian Rieser and Julian Korb. They caused that, for me, they caused the Regensburg defence all kinds of pressure and problems. And I know it's something that Max likes talking about is the, the balls to the back posts. Um, and that's what they were doing quite often. You'd see Rieser find Korb. Um, at that, that the, the far end of the post and whether he would whip the ball back in or you know um, create another opportunity elsewhere. They didn't have an answer for that. It was a very good game plan going forward uh, and a good result for Kiel who are slowly creeping up to, to the likes of Karlsruhe and Paderborn. Yeah, and I mean, if you compare it to, to the game uh, in the first leg, like, really, really different outcome, a uh, really different game. It was actually a game... Uh, that was for neutral spectators really interesting to watch because uh, you never knew, like you always had the change of who was up for a period of time in this game, and uh, it was always it was a very very close call. And I mean, we really really like to see those kind of games where you don't have the result um, kind of put out in before the game even starts. Um, and what you said about uh, Riesa, but especially Julian Korb, really want to elaborate on that. Um, he started in this game and really, really lively performance. Loved how he always went the extra mile, kind of um, really wanted to score the goal. I mean, it was a bit lucky that they got that, that he got that goal. I mean, um, 
he <laughs> Breitkreuz is being kicked in in the stomach, yeah. arm, whatever. Um, so a bit, yeah, unlucky there. But on the other side, there were like seven, I think seven Regensburg players mm. in their own box and in front of the box and Korb gets the rebound. Um, that's That was a bit weird. Um, as I said, I think the game really lived that you you really had that game on eye level. And I think I, re- I really like that. The game could have gone either way. I do think in the end, uh, Kiel's win was deserved because uh, the way they they started off into the second half, you could really see, um, okay, we have the chance here. We know we're a bit lucky because um, Dana saved that penalty at the end of the first half, but we're going to use that. And I really, really like that. And um, I mean, you have that, that Purat attempt on goal, really nice to watch. I mean, just look at the circulation of the ball. Um, really unlucky there that he hits the post. Um, and things didn't really offer much after that. I mean, after the second goal, they knew, okay, we kind of have to offer something now. But, um, yeah, I mean, what I really like as well is that, you know from teams, they have variability in in their formation from game to game but Kiel actually has it in a game they change uh, how many players they have in the back from three to five to four uh, okay I mean this three to five it's easier to to change that up um, in a game we see that a lot if you if you look what are they doing with the ball I mean for example if you look at Bayern Munich with the ball they have like a Three, three, six, one, or something like that on the weekend, and um, I mean, in the end, with Ringsburg, them scoring from after a free kick, after a set piece, sky is blue. It was their 18th goal after set piece. I'm not sure if, if teams will start to not let them do that, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, Kiel plays Fortuna Düsseldorf next. Um, it's going to be an interesting game because we will talk about Dusseldorf next. And with Dusseldorf, the only thing you have to do is score a goal very early and then they're done for. And mm. I am interested in if Kiel can manage to do so. It's actually not that clear cut as you might think, in my opinion. Um, this is the fun thing about Zweite Bundesliga because if you have that, if you can figure out the one weakness of a team and but don't use it, it's always it can be close in the end. Necessary, obviously for Regensburg, we talked about that they play Schalke. Going to be a very interesting game. Do you think it's going to be um, a different game? I do hope it's going to be a different game that in the first leg. Um, but yeah, I think in general the next match day we have a couple of games that can really in a way, predefine what is can happen with the teams. We spoke about St. Pauli, Paderborn, then Ringsburg, Schalke. We also have games like, um, I think, Sandhausen playing Auer. Um, those are games. I mean, it's not going to be great to watch, but very, very important for both teams in those spo- in, in, the, in the bottom. Um, so, yeah, I think match day 21 is going to be huge. Yeah, I think the difference in those games will be the form is a lot different to what it was when they first met, um, and and the perspective the perspective has changed quite a bit. Um, yeah, Regensburg's play in the final third was really ordinary. They 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 shot at will when they could, but like it just wasn't clinical. There was no clinicalness in in the way that they were going about. About it, and then you could see towards the end of the game when the panic starts to set in, and you play a bit more frantically. Um, you're just trying to force the issue a bit too much, and and this was the case here. But they weren't the only team who played in that fashion, as Eva alluded to. That would be Fortuna Düsseldorf. Uh, their game against Nuremberg on um, on the weekend, 750 poor souls attended the Spiel Arena. Um, because it took 105 seconds for um, Lino Templeman. Now I will dispute this till till the cows come home, but I that should be a Nikolai Dovidan goal in ice hockey. In ice hockey, if it comes, if there's a deflection off of the attacking player, it's a goal to the deflect D. It comes to me. It comes off Dovidan, who is 
on site. And that should be a dominant goal. I'm sorry, Lino, but that's just the facts. Nikolai should get the goal. But um, enough of that, anyway. Um, Dusseldorf had their chances in this game. Uh, they had plenty of chances in this game. Um, but they never looked likely to actually score from any of those chances. Uh, what does this mean? Well, it's three consecutive defeats in a row for Fortuna. Uh, they're three points above Sandhausen, who have a game in hand. Um, and Klaus Alofs taking most of the interview duties um, after the game. I bet he's our coach. He's our coach. Um, but 20 points from 20 games uh, would suggest that there's a real issue with the way things are going in Dusseldorf. Um, and and I think the, the, the real glowing endorsement of what is happening in Dusseldorf is look at the fans at the end of the game. I mean, that I you, you, you can... There, there is a sympathetic side to a lot of people when they see teams that are really struggling and it, and it seems like there's no real solution and it's very dour. There was only 750 people in the stands, but you thought there was something, something really catastrophic had happened because it was just... You could sap the energy, suck the energy out of the stadium and that's what it was. Like It was so sad the way things had gone and... They tried. I think that's the only thing you can really describe about this game. They tried to score, but um, again, uh, they go scoreless. Third game in a row, they've done that. Um, and yeah, things don't look good. And you would suspect how long, Eva, can they hold this up? How long can Christian Preusser keep his job? Of course, we don't advocate people losing their jobs, but it's becoming a bit harder to um, protect him in this situation because it is becoming rather precarious uh, with results uh, elsewhere in the future. Yeah, and I mean, in a way, you have to feel sorry for them because at least they try to go forward in this game. There are 21 shots on goal, but at the same time, in this, this part of the story, only four of them were on target. And, I mean, in a way... Shinta Abelkamp was a highlight for, for, for Dusseldorf, but at the same time, if this is your I know, highlighting point, I'm not sure. I mean, Martina was good on goal. On the other side, Kastenmeier was, was very decent for, for, for Dusseldorf as well. Um, the, in my opinion, sorry, something is really happening here i don't know uh, nothing is burning just <laughs> weird things happening um i mean in my opinion there should have been a penalty for uh nuremberg because the way uh Carsten Meyer just mm. runs over in like in the american football kind of way um nikolai dovedan it's a penalty for me but okay i mean in the end, Dusseldorf nearly scored uh, a goal out of that. Um, really, point being nearly. I think the the way, I think the if if they if they really keep a clean sheet here, we say it's a good point for them. It's uh, against an, a Nuremberg side who is really rather ducking on at the top of the table. But the thing is you have to be awake for 90 minutes and Nurmi could have nearly scored two goals in the first four minutes uh, with six minutes and it took like 10 minutes for Dissidoff to actually rehabilitate and actually getting themselves into the game and as a team that is you just pointed out there are only three points ahead of Sundhausen who ha have a game in hand you you don't have you're not really looking for luck um, or, the, or the lack of it. You don't really have that confidence, and getting a goal like just getting a draw here doesn't help a lot. But it just helps your the head, and they didn't even manage to do so. so I'm I'm at this stage. I'm not even sure if a new coach is can fix this at this stage because I do think they they needed more time and I think this is we still talk about this huge huge problem this season was the season before it was a similar thing you don't really have that winter break 
that you had the years before. Um, so you don't have like this four or five weeks fun where you can actually, I don't know, have a come somewhere else, just really, really, I don't know, collect your thoughts and stuff. And you can really see that this sort of needs that and it's not happening. And like, if, if players like Ruben Hennings don't do their deed, which is really unfair because he has been there for so long and this stuff really only relies on him. It's a bit worrying, and um, honestly, I, as mentioned, I'm not even sure if a um, change of manager at this stage is going to help off coming out of this. It's really tough because the goal they conceded was so poorly defended. Um, they only really decided that they should do something about Templeman's marauding run when he was about to shoot. Um he, his initial run starts inside his own half and, and not no one really makes an attempt to stop him. So that's really bad. Um, their, their, yeah, their application was, was really poor in the first 15 minutes. They did get some sort of momentum. But yeah, they. it's a tough one because you probably, you know, your comparison for Christian Preuss is going to be Uwe Rosler. And whilst it wasn't particularly pretty last year, they still found ways to get results, and that's not what Fortuna are doing this year. They just can't, you know, they they they, they can't steal wins or they can't steal a point when it seems unlikely. You know, they've played in a few games this season where they've they've been in a position to win and they've found a way to draw. They found a way to lose. Um, I think of the Hanover game when Muslia scored that goal from about you know thirty yards out to beat Carsten Meyer, and it's been a horrid season for them. Um, and I just don't know where it looks. For Nuremberg, we should actually talk, give Nuremberg a bit of credit. They, they, they held on very well. I think defensively, they were very good as a unit. Um, they had great defensive shape, and oh, they just they defended for their lives in the end. It was a very gritty win, and one that they needed. One that they definitely needed keeps them in the hunt. Let's take our final break, and on the other side, we will discuss our final two match that, matches from match day twenty. And we're going to start at the Osterstadion in Rostock. It's Hansa and Heidenheim. Insanity can be defined as seeing the same thing happen and expect a different result. And it feels like Hansa Rostock have been in this infinite loop for quite some time. They took on Heidenheim on match day 20. It seems that it doesn't matter who they put up front, even with the returning Jean Verhoek, that uh, scoring a goal in front of their own stadium is in fact nigh on impossible. In fact, some would say that there is a hex that is, gut, that is gatekeeping Hansa from actually scoring. As recently, they've been unable to find the back of the net. And they did so, they failed to do so again with this nil-nil draw against a pretty uninspiring Heidenheim side. Verhoek had the best opportunity um, in this game. And he, well, he kicked it into Rosette, essentially. That's uh, how much he missed the goal by... Uh, they had many opportunities. They were very good down the left-hand side with Nieland and Fruling. Um, 42% of their attacks came from there. We also saw a debut for Timo Becker. He's on loan from Schalke until the end of the season. But Eva, we just... This league can never be normal for one day. And Rostock continue to not be... Not follow the norms of reality. I don't think in our time covering the Spider Bundesliga, have we seen a team so inept, but yet still look good. At the same time, it's rather frustrating. Can't imagine how their fans are feeling, but geez, that's another two points they've dropped uh, again at home. They really should have won this one. Yeah, and that again is a very disappointing Heidenheim side who mm. we just talked about last week. Uh, they can't really replicate what they do at home. And honestly, there's actually two games we will speak about um, in, this last, in, the, in the last group. We had two teams who just fail to score i mean i don't don't always put too much um i don't know focus on the xgs by 2.27 for a team who got promoted against a team who has this kind of that's by the bundesliga dino it hurts it really hurts and i think the the thing was when i played uh i Leipzig in the pokal it was the same thing i mean it's not a shame to lose 
two RV Leipzig, who are obviously have tons of more money and stuff like that. But they had their chances in this game as well. And I thought, well, I mean, the Pokal has its own rules. Come on, Rostock, take your chances. They didn't do that. And then you can't really... It's so frustrating <clears throat> to watch because even if a John Fehoek doesn't score... We talked about this before. Who will score the goals? And, and the thing is that they had such good p- opportunities. It wasn't just that. I know they they were just unlucky to not score. They they just at this stage, it's the lack of quality scoring the goals, and it's so harsh to put it that way. But it is, and if they don't look out I mean they can be lucky that there are a couple of teams who fail to score even more but I mean I looked it up I think they should have had like 30 goals this season if you look at the kind of expected goals of this whole season um or what they call like what um the Bundesliga is called shot efficiency um obviously Regensburg leads the table and then the three bottom teams are Hansa Rostock with a minus 9.9. They they scored 21 goals. They have an expected goals of nearly um, 31. And games like this, you kind of know where it's coming from. And I do feel sorry about them because they offer, they offer something to the table, but they just don't score goals. And especially against teams who like Sandhausen, Dresden. We actually have uh, that game against Dresden coming up. In my opinion, in a way, they they are the better team. But in the end, I can tell you, Christoph Werner is going, going to score at home like he always does, and Dresden is going to win this one now. I jinxed it by saying this now. But... And it's so frustrating because probably we look at the XG at the end of this game, it's going to be like 1.6 to, ah, no, 3.1 or something like that. I know it kind of it, it makes me very angry and I know it's just very mean to say it like that, but you can't, they have their games cut it out for them and it's it, it just, it's sad. <laughs> Yeah, it is, because they do the hard work. They work hard, they're, they're very coherent as a unit, they're able to transition the ball quite well, um, but, blimey, it's uh, it's the equivalent of someone making you dinner. They've done the hard work for you, everything's set it up, and you just don't finish it. And for whatever reason, they just cannot finish their dinner. It's, it's, it, is, it is perplexing because um, they are then... They're such an enigma. They really, really are because they play some good football. Um, they they know how to put teams on the back foot, but they can't score. It's just crazy. They're so poor in front of goal, and we've we've said it on repeat, and I guess I'll have to repeat it again. At some stage, this res- these results like, will come back to bite them. You know, you, you can only have so many chances before it catches up to you. How many more chances will Hansa have before it catches up to them? We will see. Let's go to our final game of match day 20. Hanover 96 against Dynamo Dresden. 500 were in attendance at the HTI Arena to score, to see a 0-0 draw. Mm, this one, much like the Hansa game, was dominated by the hosts. Hanover had a plethora of chances in this game. But if it wasn't for the heroics of Kevin Brawl, it was the inaccuracy in front of goal of Hanover. The biggest chance of the game came after 70 minutes when Sebastian Stolzer had done the hard part. Rounded goalkeeper Kevin Brawl, but a heavy touch on his behalf led to the ball trickling out of play. It summed up their, even- their afternoon at home. Whew, they deserved to win this game. Either they were fantastic throughout. Two players I'd like to highlight were the, the, the midfielders of Andua and Demers. Demers they brought in on loan from Feyenoord Rotterdam from the Eredivisie. Both were very complimentary in midfield. Really liked how those two interacted. Um, but gosh, the, the pain for Hanover in this game. A chance to win, uh, to continue their good run after beating Gladback in the Cup. 
<laughs> yeah, and I mean, it was just similar as you mentioned to the Rostock game, very frustrating to watch. Uh, Hanover was the better team in this game by a stretch. Um, besides the players you just pointed out, wanna wanna take a look at Bayer and Teuchert as well. Very lively up front, had good scenes in this game, but just couldn't find the back of the net. And um, I mean, there the was a good, really, really good goalkeeper for Dresden in place. Obviously, with Paul, he has has extended his contract until um, 2024, if I'm correct. We forgot to mention this, I think, last week. And um, the thing is, I'm just taking this as a personal offense because when I saw them in the Pokal, I was like, okay, this is actually how Hanover can play. This is quite interesting to watch. It's quite um, nice to see how they um, just completely banished Gladbach from doing anything up front. There was this, I think, one shot on target by, by player. I don't want to really... like. They just really managed in this game as well to to keep their opponents at bay. But the difference is against Gladbach, they managed to score those goals. And I mean, they had a very, very goalkeeper to get it against in Jan Sommer in this game as well. So this is not like you can't... This is same thing with, with Rostock. There is some quality missing here. I mean, I just... Finally, I was wondering what... What the hell is up with Lucas and Tizia? I mean, they got him as a replacement for for Marvin Dukes. I keep forgetting that they got him. He wasn't in the in the squad for like the last three games, as far as I know. Trans, uh, Transfermarkt says he doesn't have some kind of injury. Don't know what is going on there. If he doesn't really fit into Christoph Dabrowski's system, but in which system does he fit? I mean, he didn't really play under Jan um, Zimmermann as well. And this is the games you need to win. Hanover isn't midfieldy kind of they they still closer to the to the edge and the, the worst edge of the table. And you gotta win those games. Honestly. And yeah, I mean they play Heidenheim next at home. We know Heidenheim at home is a completely different side than Heidenheim away from home. And Heidenheim will not say, Okay, let's go, we just let you have shots on target until forever until you might have might score a goal and as i said before hanover is in this mix of the three bottom teams they scored 15 goals so far they should have scored 26 mm. and at least in this game i have the feeling i don't know six in this game three four five six i don't know mm. they had six uh, yeah six shots on target um out of 16 on goal and yeah I'm it really just makes me angry and I know they picked up their three points so far like per each game they picked up wins as well what you say but this was the first time where there wasn't one lit minor strike who could give them the win and you could see that they were kind of building on that and as mentioned before like sort of toys had in that team and like uh, Baya, um, but obviously he will leave until after the end of the season, go back to Hoffenheim. They were probably very eager to have him back uh, because he so far he has been really, really good playing in this Hanover team. And then I wonder what Hanover does after that. Mm-hmm. If Bayer is gone, they miss some very, very creative player in this midfield attacking front. And pff, if they stay into, in the league has to be some changes i mean i really just screamed at my my tv yesterday uh, and then the day before because i forgot how horrible it was henrik weidand who missed uh, the goal as well and it it's it's pain <laughs> i mean there's a big difference and it, and it is it is rather noticeable teams who have got strikers who are not only competent, but those who are very good finishers versus teams that don't, where they correlate in the standings. And it is rather ironic um, that these teams that are really struggling to have a number nine who can put the ball in the back of the nets are closer towards the bottom 
portion of the table. Dresden were, you know what, they were resilient defensively. They weren't great. They didn't. They they got lucky. That's that's probably the the crux of it. They they weren't particularly good in this game, um, and yeah, you know, Kevin Brawl is it was the savior in this one because they they really didn't deserve to win it. They were very very ordinary, but their comforts come at home, uh, as we know. Um, before we go, of course, we like to give our recommendation of the week. And our kick tip league. Now, I'm just going to go straight through this because uh, I can see the rather smug look on the week's winner, Eva, again topping the tie, the uh, the sheets. 18 this time, lone winner this time as well. And uh, also can recall uh, a Mr. Max Jakob asked who mentioned when we asked him where we could find him, top of the kick tip. And uh, wouldn't you know it, he's been displaced at the top of the top of, of, of our kick tip. Yannick now leads with 197 points. So, um, yeah, we, we may have jinxed Max in that one, which was quite hilarious. Uh, our recommendation for the week is a bit different. It is not a podcast, but it is a non-for-profit organization in the UK. They're known as Her Game 2. It's a, uh, a campaign that run by fe- female football fans, raising awareness of uh, sexual abuse in football games, in stadiums, uh, football is an inclusive environment and one that is welcome for all. And the fact that uh, we are still at a situation where we have to check ourselves, uh, especially the the men, a lot of the men in the room, um, you know, not respecting their right to be at the football, using terrible quotes like "get in the kitchen" and stuff like that, is 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 not acceptable in this day and age. Uh, and as, as as individuals, we have to be better. And yeah, highly recommend you guys uh, check them out. You can find them on Twitter at HerGame2. Or you can go to their website for more information. It's HerGame2.co.uk. I think that's it. I think we're done for our Match Day 20 review. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time to discuss all the action from Match Day 21. Until then... Stay safe, enjoy the international break, and we can't wait to see you shortly.